Queer Relationships, an IM clinic podcast devoted to helping you, the LGBTQ community, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Some of you may know this, but I'm the son of a minister. We call ourselves PKs or pastor's kids, and I have all of the qualities and meeting criteria for what that means. I have the opportunity in today's episode to sit down with another PK. This pastor's kid went through quite the coming out as the church he grew up in, his father's church, got national attention for becoming affirming and welcoming for the LGBTQIA community. Today, we get a little inside scoop on what that experience was like for him, but also what was happening inside of him as he was coming out and asking some really important questions. He also talks very boldly about his own experiences with mental health concerns and what he's doing to work towards self-acceptance. I really respect what he has to say and his courage. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Let's take a listen. At what age did you come out? I was 15 when I came out to my family. Okay, cool. Did you come out to your friends or anybody? Uh, the friends I had at the time, um, I wouldn't call them friends now, (laughs) but yeah, I did come up, uh, friends at the time before my family. Okay. Yeah. In that context, like with your friends, what made it safe to come out? Looking back, I don't think it was necessarily that I felt safe. It was just like, I really just needed to tell somebody. (laughs) Yeah. Cause I grew up in a, you know, in a Christian community. So all my friends were much more conservative than I was already. Okay. Uh, (laughs) And so I guess there was never actually a person, I guess, that I like truly felt safe with telling. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That must have been a really courageous move for you then, or a lot of desperation as you're kind of describing. Yeah, I feel like it was a little bit both. <laughs> sure. I know the feeling. Yeah. What was that desperation like for you? What was it what was it about? Um well it was like how old was I? I was 14. Yeah, I was 14 when I figured it all out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm a very impatient person. <laughs> I always have been. And so once I have something that I know for sure, I, I just want to like go with it. And I don't want to have to like wait around. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was one of those things where like, you know how, like, when you're gay, you it the fact that you're gay is always kind of there, but you never really acknowledge it, or it's kind of just like a gradual acceptance almost. For sure. Um, it was kind of like that. So I actually didn't have much ample time between coming out to myself and coming out to other people. I think <laughs> when I finally, like, was like, yep, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> I think there was only like a few months or even weeks between the time where of that moment for myself and then telling someone else about it. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, Cause I guess I just wanted to know what it felt like to say it out loud. Sure. Yeah. To let it be true kind of in a more real way. Yeah. So it, that it wasn't just something that I was experiencing alone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, I guess I just wanted to, like, confirm it <laughs> in an outward way. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, I'll kind of make a comparison here, but I came out, I kind of say I came out twice to my family. I came out when I was 22. <laughs> <laughs> um, and uh, that's when I started conversion therapy. And then I came out again at 26. And that time I came out kind of with certainty, you know, mm-hmm. you think about that 26 year old and that's like an 11 year difference between the time mm-hmm. you family and when I told mine. Um, and so 
I just think it's so cool that you found the courage or maybe even the need to do it so early on. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's always interesting. It's always interesting to hear um, that people think that I was courageous because then I wasn't even sure if it was courage. And now I don't even think it was courage because <laughs> when I look at like a lot of my major life decisions or like the things I've done in my life, I'm just a very impulsive person. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and like I said before, I don't like sitting in the same thing sure. too long. Uh, and like when I know I want to do something, I hate waiting to do it. <laughs> um, so I don't even know what came over me to, to come out like that at such an early age before I like, before I even like gave myself time to really like, uh, I guess like sizzle in the fact that I had just accepted that I was gay. <laughs> like I didn't even like spend time with myself alone really with it mm -hmm. um so i don't know how much of that was courage and how much of that was just drew being his typical impulsive self <laughs> <laughs> I but I'm, yeah but if it but yeah if people want to call it courage <laughs> that's fine with me <laughs> <laughs> yes, I hear that though. Yeah, it's almost kind of like um, needing to move forward, kind of needing to test it out. But I think for a lot of us, it's like it's a sense of almost like I need to get it started. Definitely. You know, I guess. Yeah, I guess I felt like my life was going to be on hold indefinitely until I let people know. Mm -hmm. No, I definitely, definitely get that. How did your friends respond? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, no. I mean, fairly okay for the context, I get. Mm, never mind. <laughs> it was really weird because it's like I grew up in a new evangelical Christian community. So if that provides any extra context. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, <laughs> you know um so they were all about like oh we still love you type of deal but because of the community we were in and like we were kids um still being controlled by our authority figures mm -hmm. um i was definitely ostracized and made out to be this complicated thing sure uh, and so a lot of my friends like behind my back and like behind my parents back i guess people were telling them like to not hang out with me as much or things like that and like i would be uninvited to like graduation parties <laughs> oh my god uh, High school was a shit show, <laughs> to say the least. Sure. Uh, junior year, senior year. Actually, junior year was my last year actually being a part of... I was homeschooled, but I was also part of like these groups and institutions that are like for homeschoolers and things like that. Okay. And so basically, it was like my school. Sure. I was actually kicked out. After my junior year, so senior year, like I couldn't even think about where to apply to college because I was trying to figure out what I was going to do for senior year. <laughs> sure. uh, yeah, so I'd like to say that they responded well in the moment mm -hmm. of me coming out, but the moment doesn't last, <laughs> did not last. <laughs> sure. And eventually it became like really complicated and I felt like they were always like nervous around me or I was nervous around them mm -hmm. and everyone else. It was just not a great dynamic well, to have. That's a, that's a lot to carry for a 14 year old too. Yeah. I think I was 15 and 16 by the time that happened. 
I was 15 when all that stuff started happening. Okay. Yeah. Because then I came out, like, publicly. And so everyone knew. I see. I see. How, how did your parents respond for you during that time? Ooh, <laughs> they were in shambles. <laughs> okay. For sure. Sure. Because... Uh, it's funny, or not funny, but interesting how my situation, normally I find that people find solace in their friends and their communities, but, when, but are having a hard time with their families. But for me, it was flipped mm-hmm. um, because my family was already immediately accepting, like, like, yeah, since my dad is a pastor and we were... A Christian family, like of course, there was things to figure out on their end, <laughs> um, and they were able to do that on their own. <laughs> like I didn't really want to or have to assist them in like that whole acceptance thing. They were able to find their own community, which I'm very grateful for. <laughs> uh, but since they were able to like learn about all these things on their own. Um, they were extremely concerned (laughs) and it felt like they just were desperately like waiting for me to say like, Hey, I need help or because I was definitely not well (laughs) and I was not communicating a lot of that properly. Anxiety or? (laughs) Yeah. Extreme anxiety, um, and depression, which I now know now that I've been diagnosed with both, I've just had my whole life. <laughs> it's like pretty much genetic in my family. Okay. Uh, so, and like looking back at my childhood, when I was really little, I'm like, oh yeah, I was definitely depressed and anxious my whole entire life. But this whole thing just just started all up. <laughs> yeah, uh, absolutely. Yeah, so I was not well. I was being very self-destructive uh self-harming for a thank goodness it was only a brief period of time that I was doing that but uh yeah (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I hid a lot of that stuff from my parents and I didn't tell them a lot of those things until I for lack of a better term better um yeah so they they were just constantly trying to find ways to give me comfort or something or like what I needed, but then I didn't even know what I needed or wanted. Mm-hmm. And so it was kind of rough because when they would try to help me out, I didn't know how to take it because I was in the mindset of like, oh no, I'm this burden to all these people in my life. So obviously I can't put this away on my parents' shoulders because they're also dealing with all this stuff at church. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I thought it was just best to just like keep it all to myself. Yeah, for sure. And that's so much to hold. <laughs> yeah. Do you feel like it was kind of the idea of like, uh, I'm protecting my parents by hiding myself. Definitely. Cause it was, cause everyone knew I was gay. Like everyone at church, everyone around us knew. Mm-hmm. And what made things complicated was my dad was the pastor and he had publicly announced or publicly said like during a sermon that he doesn't think being gay is sin essentially. Um, and so that made my church also like a shit show because <laughs> they were all trying to deal with, oh my God, our pastor thinks this and he has a gay son. <laughs> it, so yeah, it was definitely me not necessarily wanting to protect, but wanting to not add to the fire. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> Even though I felt like I was the fire. <laughs> Oh, in a serious way. What was that? I bet in a serious way you felt that. Yeah, it's very much so. I felt like I was 
though even though I definitely wasn't the one causing all these issues, <laughs> I was just I was just a figure in these people's ex- lives, experiences, whatever. Sure. So yeah, I definitely felt like I was the fire starter and the one adding to the and all these people were just throwing things in there and I didn't want to add to it. So, <laughs> cause I couldn't take it anymore or, or I didn't want to have to deal with it. So I just didn't. Sure. Mm-hmm. Is, was there a part of you that when you say the fire starter, I'm kind of wondering to what extent, like, do you feel like your dad preached that sermon because of you? Um, yes and no. Okay. Um, he definitely wanted to do it for himself because on his own end, um, while I was figuring out that I was gay and not telling anybody, he was also doing a bunch of his own study okay. about the like Christianity and LGBT issues. And he actually came to the conclusion on his own, like without telling anybody, also in secret. <laughs> Sure, uh, sure. that he felt differently now or thought differently now. Mm-hmm. And so it's also something, I guess we're similar. There's <laughs> also something that he felt he needed to share. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so it wasn't because of me, but it definitely was related. <laughs> mm-hmm. That makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. I'm just trying to think of how you were managing so much responsibility or what you thought was your responsibility. You know, kind of this idea, if I tuck away all of my pain, all of my questions, or maybe even the need for support, I'll make this easier for everybody else. Yeah. Um, Not at all. (laughs) there was no proper managing of emotions (laughs) um I got really good at repressing things Mm -hmm. so much so that it was actually taking a toll on my body (laughs) and by the time the end of my senior year came around I was actually hospitalized for like a month um, because I don't even remember what what was going on but like my body was just shutting down essentially and the doctors were really confused about why all these antibiotics and things weren't helping when they should. Um, and I truly believe it was just, I just got sick like any other person, but because my mental health was so bad um, that my body just couldn't do its thing and heal myself, you know? So instead it just kept deteriorating further. <laughs> So, uh, like, managing emotions, it's almost kind of like you went into shutdown mode to make it yep. for everybody else. Oh, definitely. I definitely went to shutdown mode, and it's crazy to think that I can't remember a large chunk of high school. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just, yeah. That's actually really common. Um. Do you want the little nerdy science lesson behind that? (laughs) Yeah, actually, I do. (laughs) Um, Okay, so when the body is in a serious amount of stress like that, it's naturally going to go into what we call, you know, fight, flight, or freeze mode. Um, Kind of the academic way of talking about that is to call it the sympathetic nervous system. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of in sympathetic mode where... um, this, these little bundles of neurons in our brain called the amygdala, they're telling our body, I'm under stress, I'm under stress, or I'm under threat. And then they tell the hippocampus, which is in charge of short-term memory creation, to remember the emotions associated with the threat. So instead of encoding memory, the body is actually using those mechanisms to encode trauma. Oh, so, yeah, we're going to walk out of 
massive seasons of our life, like half of high school, and we're just going to have more anxiety, more depression, and more trauma in our body because that's what the brain created as opposed to the memories it could have encoded. That makes sense. <laughs> I feel like as if that's definitely what happened. Yeah, that, that must have been some serious serious like traumatic stress for you oh yeah like even now even Mm -hmm. even now i mean this is probably not a great thing to say um because obviously the world is in absolute like is a wreck for the past has been a wreck for the past year and a half um but honestly what a lot of what got me through the past year and a half was like, hey, I've been through worse. <laughs> or for myself, I feel as if I've been through worse. Or, yeah. Do you feel like I, Sorry, go ahead. Oh, no, what were you saying? Do you feel like that comes out of you as resilience or as more shutdown energy? <laughs> That's definitely a question I've been asking myself. <laughs> like, am I resilient or am I repressing once again Mm -hmm. and so also with this past year and a half i've been trying to figure all of that out and like all these habits that i've kept since i was in high school um and also college because college was a different monster of its own being at a christian university (laughs) um yeah i definitely I think it's for me, it's not like an either or. I think I'm both at the same time. I'm both resilient and person that goes into shutdown mode. Mm-hmm. Um, I just have to be, be really conscious about which direction I'm leaning towards in a given situation. Sure. If, if that makes sense. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, we have these kind of innate mechanisms in our body. And again, whenever those little amygdala tell us I'm under threat, we can kind of do a hybrid. We can say, okay, I'll manage the emotional component of this by shutting it down. And I can find the bravery to even kind of step through this with confidence. And so I think the body is just so complex. Yeah. Find a a cocktail of all sorts of reactions, you know? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Yeah. One of the things that I see in a lot of the people I get to talk to is that we take this dynamic of I need to shut down and hide myself as a way of making this easier for people or as a way of protecting them from who I am. And yeah. That dynamic, because we're doing it at such an early age, um, it can actually become the way we approach relationships. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Of all kinds. Right? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. Do you, do you see that kind of popping up in your life? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> especially, in co- <laughs> especially in college. Yeah. Um. I dated someone for two years and that definitely popped up a lot in our relationship. Um, because you know, you're here, you take two traumatized gays and put them in a relationship living in an apartment together. You're gonna, (laughs) you're gonna have quite a time. (laughs) Uh, and yeah, there was definitely times where, cause I was definitely the one that was able to control my temper (laughs) <laughs> better uh-huh. uh it's so because of, because my boyfriend at the time was a very outward expresser <laughs> he was very outward with his emotions whereas i was very um inward and more calculating with how i expressed my emotions mm-hmm. um because of that when we'd get into like fights or whatever, da da da, or whenever we had a rough time, uh, like 
visually it looked like it was mostly him, even though we were probably both feeling the same amount of upset. (laughs) But because I, because when I see other people upset, I take a step back, no matter what the situation is. Um, Because... I don't know. Again, it's a similar, like, I don't want to add to the fire type of deal. And so I definitely would go into shutdown mode again, like, because it felt like, even though the situation was different, it felt the same in that, oh, here's this person that's being upset because of me. Yeah. And so I need to. S- not do anything (laughs) absolutely like i just need to separate or i just need to quiet down like i would like leave the house for like a whole day and then not come back until like in the night (laughs) Mm -hmm. things like that yeah it almost sounds like a narrative that's um again i need to hide so that they're better off or they're Mm -hmm. stable yeah 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 and we did go to end up we did like go to couples therapy just because we awesome both decided early on in our relationship like we should do couples therapy because we're both extremely mentally ill people so this would be good (laughs) and so that was actually very helpful and i actually do think our relationship wouldn't have lasted as long if we didn't have that (laughs) sure Um, I also was able to learn a lot about myself in those. Um, One of them being able to know what it feels like to actually express what I'm feeling in the moment verbally, Mm -hmm. which I hadn't really done for my whole life until that. So. Well, how could you have, you know what I mean? Yeah. Definitely. I definitely should have been in therapy a lot sooner. <laughs> <laughs> you and me both, girl. You and yeah. <laughs> um, but I just the act of like trying to find a therapist always stressed me out as a kid because we did try finding therapists, but I just never felt comfortable with any adult because at the time I was also dealing with a lot of adults that were like being really manipulative to me so i just felt like i had this weird guard towards any and all adults (laughs) absolutely you know i think that's kind of like this double this um what we might call a parallel process like um a single train on one side of the track so we have two trains going down um one side of each track but it's this process of i'm protecting everybody by shutting down and I'm, I'm helping them by, by hiding myself. But as I do that, I don't get to practice feeling safe. So I never get to practice speaking my truth and then watching an adult nurture me, soothe me, and then keep me safe from their drama, which is what should have happened. <laughs> yes. Yeah, and so <laughs> sounds like in this couple's work that you were doing for the first time, you got to learn how to speak your emotions and practice trusting that when you did that, you were going to be okay. Yeah, definitely. Um, if, I, <laughs> if my ex at the time wasn't such a complicated person, I probably would have come out of those sessions feeling safe to say those things fair enough fair enough (laughs) gotcha (laughs) but i definitely did find the ability to do so Mm because now i'm i mean i've always been this person you know as i said before very impulsive but also very loud um i'm a very loud person like in the literal sense and in like a metaphorical sense like (laughs) my family my friends they all just say like yeah you're chaotic as fuck (laughs) um so i feel like i've have since college been able to be more honest with not like the things i say but just how i put myself out and interact with the world 
Mm-hmm. Um, and because of everything that went on in my childhood and in college, because it wasn't just my relationship, but there was a whole bunch of other things that were going on. Um, I definitely have become a very, not like a black and white person where everything is black and white, but almost like that. Like I know my standards in what I want in a friendship or in a community or in a relationship, platonic or romantic. Mm -hmm. And I absolutely don't even entertain anything less. (laughs) And if I even sense something that is like, all right, this isn't going to be productive for either of us. I instantly just like, just don't even interact. And I'm like, Hey, this isn't, this is not it. And so I'm just not gonna. Even go down that road. Yeah. I'm not even going to go down that road. Yeah. It sounds like, and correct me if I'm wrong, but what you've cultivated is a sense of value. Yes. (laughs) Which is amazing. I think so, yes. (laughs) Like, because that could also be, again, it's like, am I resilient or repressing? Am I knowing my value or am I just finding a new way to hide? Mm -hmm. And so, but then I feel like both are happening again at the same time. Because maybe sometimes I do need to hide or separate myself from a certain person. But at the same time, I should also be talking about what's going on with somebody else, mm-hmm. which I find that I'm getting better at doing because I actually now do have friends I can talk to. <laughs> it took a few years, took a few decades, but <laughs> uh, yeah, so I'm trying, especially now, I feel like my communication with people has become a lot more intentional because of COVID. Um, and so because in order to talk to people, I actually have to reach out and do it. It's not like before where we can just meet up in real life and things like that. Right. Um, I feel like now I am getting better at talking to someone after a difficult thing has happened. That's awesome. Yeah, thanks. (laughs) Yeah. You know, I kind of am, as you're talking, playing around with this idea of like shutting down versus resilience. And I wonder if what it, if what you're doing, and if you would resonate with this, but is actually kind of putting up a healthy boundary to keep yourself safe while you practice your resilience. Yeah, that sounds, that sounds right. Um, I'm still learning my boundaries. Sure. As everyone is I mean I feel like there's no such thing as knowing all your boundaries and people are always figuring things out and people are changed so boundaries change (laughs) um but yeah I definitely do keep up a very thick boundary (laughs) because uh I do have a lot going on inside that I don't know how to bring into I also just don't like bringing people into my shit when it has nothing to do with them um usually like if I know that it's something that isn't detrimental and kind of trivial um I know that like I can deal with it on my own or like with other people so I will definitely act like nothing's bothering me around like my family for example even though if something is bothering me, but I do try to make sure I am giving myself the room to like, okay, you could, you like be okay here and live your life here with these other people that have nothing to do with it going on. And then, and then tomorrow you can have the day to be sad. (laughs) Yeah. Does it feel like you're kind of, um, Does it feel like maybe kind of um, a relational chameleon, like show them this color so that you can blend in and be part of the mood or the dynamic, the atmosphere? 
Yes. For sure. <laughs> Especially because my family also has their own lives going on. And they, every, each one of us, our emotions manifest differently. So it's kind of a similar situation where I don't want to like add to whatever is already going on in the house or like in my family. I guess. Sure. Um, yes. Yeah. And like asking for support and stuff, but then, but then they already are giving me a lot of support by letting me move back here. So. <laughs> but what if you deserve more support? What if you're that valuable? You know, that's the million dollar question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so true. Uh, uh, yes. I guess. I guess I'm trying to figure out, like, do I, am I not asking for support because I'm afraid of, but, then, but I also just like my privacy. Like, I really value my privacy. Because that's not something I had when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. Because everyone was like keeping their eye on me. And like my dad and I were doing all these things. And I felt like I became like a weird public figure, but not really at the same time. Mm -hmm. um, it just felt like everyone was looking at me, <laughs> which they were. Um, so now I really value my privacy. And I really enjoy not sharing my life in the same capacity I used to um, because that means I'm just doing it for myself and I'm just doing things because I want to do them or I feel like this is good for me. Mm -hmm. um, so because of that and also because I also lived on my own for about five years, um, like from the age of 19 to just a few months ago <laughs> and I'm 23 now. Um, so yes, from the age of 19 to 23, I was, or no, I was 18. Sorry. <laughs> I just had a moment of like, how old am I? Um, yeah. For, so for my final teenage years into like my early adult years, I was on my own. And so I always like saying I was raised in California, but I grew up in Seattle, <laughs> um, mm -hmm. which um, is because I kind of like found new ways to like live my life and how to process my thoughts and emotions. And I did that without sharing a lot with my parents about what I was going through. I mean, I would every now and then, like, of course, if I was having a hard time, I'd be like, can I come home for the weekend? <laughs> and they would let me. Um, <clears throat> but it's not, I feel like it's less so that I don't want to burden them and more so that I just don't want to share some of that stuff with them. Mm -hmm. um, because now I know that I have other people I can share it with, people that, even though my parents don't understand me and I don't, <clears throat> I don't think they would fault me for anything. It's just um, definitely just a comfort thing because the way I, even just like the language I use to explain things mm -hmm. and like the experiences, it's very, the context is very specific to people in my generation. <laughs> sometimes so I feel like they wouldn't be able to assist me in a way that I can find with my friends mm -hmm. you know because I also don't I also know that my friends aren't therapists so like I don't expect that from them and I don't want that from them <laughs> yeah. um well I do have a friend who is a literal psychologist but <laughs> from that, we do jokingly call her therapist Jess but she's not our therapist so. <laughs> Uh, 
but yeah, it's like, but I feel like if I were to like share all that stuff with my family, they would just like go into like fix it mode as they always do and try to like go really hard and trying to <laughs> help me fix everything. But that's not what I want. Like, I don't want someone else to fix my problem. I just want to air it out, mm-hmm. you know, but I don't think my parents my family knows how to do that because they are very much like we have we're very much a filial unit (laughs) it's like ride or die for everyone all the time um so i don't think they know how to they don't it's not that they don't know how but they're just their love language style is different right Mm -hmm. um and i don't like being coddled but they love to coddle (laughs) <laughs> i hear you yeah so there are moments where i let them coddle me but not with like extremely serious things like mm-hmm. they were thrilled when i asked if i could move back <laughs> so, <Sure. laughs> and things like that or so but i don't like being coddled in like when it comes to like really serious things i hear you Because I think that, especially when it comes to, I'll just be kind of vulnerable here, but when it comes to mental health stuff, to talk to my family who couldn't understand my mental health challenges, it was almost like they could make it worse by trying to call me. Yeah. Um, I don't think they would make it worse because they they do understand Mm -hmm. to an extent my mental health um just don't think it would be a comfortable experience when i know that i don't need to do it (laughs) totally yeah yeah no i totally hear you yeah yeah i also just don't want to but then a lot of it is also like i don't want to worry them so like again that all that stuff from my childhood is still there and coming into play. Mm -hmm. Um, But what's different now is I'm not just, I'm not holding all of it in. (laughs) I mean, of course, I'm still the person that loves to, I love to distract myself and I love to find an escape and like not be necessarily be fully present in the current situation (laughs) Mm -hmm. but i'm getting better that's good i think i think (laughs) are you a nine on the enneagram am i what are you a nine on the enneagram i don't know what i am yeah i think you you sound a little bit like a nine (laughs) what's the one what's the one that's the individual i feel like i'm I think I took the test multiple times because I have friends that are super into that. And I think I'm a four. Is the is it the four that's the individualist? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's okay, yeah. I'm a four. Got it. They always say I am. Yeah, that's awesome. Do you feel like now in this season of life you're kind of preparing for a big move? Are you happy that you've done all of this work? That you kind of climbed some of these mountains? I don't know Um, because I don't like to dwell too much like I don't like to have regrets so I decide not to have regrets (laughs) (laughs) Um, I just because I see a whole bunch of people I like knew a whole bunch of people where regret just like ate them up sure and I was like, that's a horrible, not fun way to live. Like, can't we just like vibe for a little bit? <laughs> um, yeah, I don't like to, like, I don't know if I would necessarily, like, I guess there are, are things I'm proud of. Yeah, I guess I am proud of the growth I've made. Um, but I also don't want to dwell on it too much because there's so many other things I want to be doing. Sure. And so 
one of my friends once told me, even though I had nothing to do with like mental health, it was literally just about like, I think I like posted a video of me dancing or something, but it, uh, they said that growth always happens when you don't, ex- when you don't realize it. Uh-huh. And even though we were talking about like a hobby, <laughs> uh-huh. I kind of like took that and I was like, that's kind of true. I have growth always happens when I don't expect it. And when it's not like, I'm not and, like the fact that I'm not even conscious of my own growth sometimes, mm-hmm. um, it's kind of fun because <laughs> oh. then I find that I'm able to do things I wouldn't have been able to do things before. So I guess in that sense, yeah, I am happy about the things I've been able to accomplish despite the <laughs> absolute mess mm-hmm. high school and college was. Sure, I, I get that. <laughs> Yeah, like, I could either view it as, like, oh, man, all this stuff is hard and I can't believe, like, it's ha- it all happened and more things just keep happening because that's no way to live. That's, like, that's so sad. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but to kind of just, like, look back on it and be like, whoa, that was crazy, wasn't it? Well, we're here now. <laughs> uh-huh. Yes. You know, I do think that there's... um. It just sounds like there's a lot of presence. It, but it does sound like you're, um, I mean, I guess the alternative is not ever having come out. And you sound like that's a non-negotiable for you. Oh, yeah. It's crazy to think that that is like not even a, like I forget that that was something that could have happened. <laughs> like you said that now and I was like, oh, right. Uh-huh. <laughs> that is something that could have happened. <laughs> Yeah, I just never felt, I just never saw it any other way. For sure. Or even thought about it being the, any other way. Yeah. If you could go back and talk to that 15-year-old who's kind of shutting down, feeling responsible, what would you tell him from today's perspective? leave the community you're in (laughs) um have fun and dance more yeah yeah Mm -hmm. because i loved it to dance but it's weird how like my passion was my passion at the time was also interloped with my trauma Mm -hmm. because the places simply because of the places I participated in my hobby were also the same places where all this stuff happened. Mm-hmm. And so it like, in some sense, like a hobby or dream of mine was kind of killed unknowingly at a very early stage. Sure. Um, and if I do have any regrets, I say that was my one regret. Uh-huh. My single soul and only regret was not continuing with the fact that I like to dance. Uh-huh. Um, I mean, I did a little bit in college. I was like part of like a team, but kind of like a similar thing happened where I got too involved in being this activist on campus and da da da. I need to be an example in this Christian university. Um, <laughs> and so, my hobby became even less than just a hobby. Mm-hmm. And I kind of wish I didn't do that. I wish I prioritized that more than trying to be this inspirational figure. Mm-hmm. Because that is something, that is also another thing. Because I feel like with young gay people, we put too much pressure on them to be an inspiration or something. Or just children in general, like not even just gay children, just children. Mm-hmm. Like if you look at, like when the I forgot their names, but the, those kids that put together that organize or group about like banning guns, um, oh. just like all the, and like Little Miss Flint, oh, um, sure. like yeah, like all these kids. I'm like no. 
kids should be kids. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a huge takeaway I've also gotten from my childhood because I wasn't allowed to be a kid. Yeah. And I think kids should just be kids. <laughs> and if I was allowed to just be a kid, I think I wouldn't have quit dancing and performing to the extent that I did. Mm-hmm. Um, because I felt like I needed to be this other thing, this, yeah. you know, just this pillar of <laughs> courage or whatever. Uh-huh. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like yeah, it. But that's, yeah. Really? That's what I would have told my 15, 14 year old self was don't buy into being this inspiration for other people. Like, you can be an inspiration merely just by being there. That's mm-hmm. enough. Yeah. You don't need to do anything else. <laughs> I love it. I really respect someone who is willing to be so self-aware as to monitor their own self-growth. From coming out and finding the reasons why one should do so, to finding stable and trustworthy friends and the confidence to speak a truth, all the way through the journey of reconciling mental health concerns and being so eager and intentional to access help, I think represents a great example of coming out. In previous episodes, we've talked about the six phases of coming out. And in today's episode, our guest so beautifully articulates all six of those phases of coming out, even the sixth phase, which is embracing our desires and allowing them to feel clean. If you want to listen about the other six phases, you can hop online and find us on TikTok. We have a couple of videos there. You can find us at I Am Clinic. There you can watch some of the videos we have up. I digress a little bit. But I just really respect the way that he's so intentional to identify what needs to fix and then to find the resources to go out and fix them. To today's guest, thank you so much for taking the time to devote to sharing your story so that more queer people can find the courage that you have modeled for us. I hope you enjoyed. Queer Relationships is a podcast sponsored by I Am Clinic, a counseling practice devoted to the LGBTQ plus community with in-person and virtual counseling options available. I Am Clinic, create the love lives and relationships you crave. Find us online on Instagram at LGBTQ underscore therapy and Facebook at I Am Clinic. That's I-A-M Clinic.